an English journalist by the name of Melanie Phillips wrote in her book, The World Turned Upside Down, The Battle for God, Truth, and Power, society seems to be in the grip of a mass derangement. The sense that the world has slipped off its, off its axis of reason has been greatly exacerbated by the fact that so many prominent people have all been saying all of these strange and disturbing things. She then poses a very good question. How is anyone able to work out who is right in such a babble of experts with so much conflicting information? She goes on to say that it seemed to her that all the evidence pointed to a widespread dislocation between certain commonly accepted positions and reality. She then sets out the case that there has been a departure from reason and logic because objectivity has been replaced in large measure by ideology. She concludes that these special interest groups have now hijacked truth and made it subservient to its own ends. The result is a world turned upside down. And friends, I think this is true, and I think she is on to something. And I'm telling you right now, she's writing as an observant Jew, but even here in Summit Community Church, we have been witnessing how the world is being turned upside down and how our enemy is coming against us. Look around at the world. It appears to me that morals, ethics, power centers, dominant ways of looking at reality are changing very rapidly. Where once Judeo-Christian morals and ethics were the dominant viewpoint, now we have a view of reality that, well, in my opinion, is basically upside down. What is good and righteous and true is now called evil, and what is evil is now called good and righteous and true, and not just called. Evil is assumed to now be good and true, despite what reality is showing us and what has shown us for thousands of years to be so. Some stuff we are being told is just outright nonsense. Watch this video. Tamara, go ahead and watch and show this video. You'll see what I mean. Hello there, Michael. How are you doing this afternoon? Oh, hey, Doc. I'm I'm doing great. No monkey pox here. (laughs) Well, I'm glad to hear that. But there are some issues I'm concerned about that we need to discuss. Well, sure, Doc. uh, What is it? Well, your blood pressure's up. You've put on about 30 pounds since your last visit. Mr. Simmons, you're obese. No, 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 Doc. I, I think you've got this all wrong. This is something you should be excited about. This is, this is the most joyful thing that's happened in my life. Doctor, I'm pregnant. Huh? I'm, I'm going to be a man, man, mom, dad. I'm going to be a dad. Your weight is becoming a serious problem. Oh, no, no, no. This, <laughs> this is in fact, this is a baby. Michael, as your primary care doctor, I can assure you that there's no possible way you can be pregnant. How do you know? Because you're not a woman and you don't have a uterus. But that lady on TV said they don't even have a definition for woman. <laughs> and, and, and that all men can get pregnant now. Are you trying to tell me that you know more about science than a lady on TV? Yes. Huh. Oh. I felt it kick. This is foolish. I, I did, I did. I hear you feel the kick. Oh, I'm having a baby, everybody! 
<laughs> Michael, you have an indigestion. So that was from the Babylon Bee. And it's satire. But lately in today's world, satire is becoming closer and closer to reality all the time. Right? There are healthcare professionals in many mainstream media that say with certainty that men can get pregnant. The world is upside down where right is wrong and wrong is right. This guy isn't pregnant. Now, he probably has a food baby, but I don't think he has a real baby. Okay? Um, you know, watch the whole video because at the end, the ultrasound shows he has a jar of like Jiffy peanut butter and Coke and a candy bar inside his stomach, right? But the last scene shows that the doctor is canceled and labeled a bigot because he is and fired for not affirming this guy's lunacy. Satire, yes, but nowadays it's reality. Okay, how do we make sense of all of this nonsense? Is there anything we can do about the, where the world is heading right now? And actually, more importantly, is there any hope? How do we as Christians have hope in a world that is turned upside down? How does anybody really have hope in a world that is turned upside down? Well, yes, we can have hope. And that is what this season is all about, hope. Why? Because God became a human and set in motion a plan established before the creation of the world, the creation of the universe, that would foresee this upside-down world, along with the fallen humanity, and set things right. How can we have hope this morning in a world that seems out of control and spiraling downward at a breakneck speed when, you know, men can become women, women can become men, men can get pregnant, when preachers of the gospel are, are you know, are, are canceled, but yet the Disrespect for Marriage Act is held up on a high pedestal, right? We can have hope like no one else because the one true most high God sent his son into the world as a human being to sacrifice himself for his people and provide eternal life for his people, for those who believe. Okay, let's look. We're going to look at some scriptures today, and we're going to see how we can have hope in a world that is turned upside down. So get your Bible app or your Bibles, open to 1 John chapter 3. We're really going to look at two verses, verses 5 and verses 8. Okay, keep these short scriptures in mind as we see how the reason for the season gives us hope for now and for the future. Okay, First John 5, I'm sorry, 3 verse 5 says, You know that he appeared in order to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. 1 John 3.8 says that uh, the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. So what's the reason for the season? The reason the Son of God appeared was to forgive sins and destroy the works of the devil. And my friends, I think this is appropriate for Summit Community Church this morning because there are several things that are happening in this church that it, it appears that the enemy is coming against us because we are coming together as a church. We are loving one another. We are giving people hope. We are preaching and teaching the word of God. Hundred proof, no additives, as a friend says, right? And the enemy has taken notice and he is coming against us. And I'm telling you right now that despite that, we have hope this morning because we are a family and we, are, we base everything we do on the glory of God and, the, and his word. 
And that's why we can have hope. That's why we can have hope. So there's three things we're going to talk about with these scriptures. All right? One is Christ came to redeem his people. Two, Christ came to restore a fallen and corrupt creation. And three, Christ came to destroy the devil himself. So let's dive into these. Okay, first, the Son of God came to redeem his people and rescue them from the consequences of their sin. Remember 1 John 3, 5 says, You know that he appeared in order to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. Right? This verse confirms what the angel told Joseph in Matthew chapter 1. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Why is this such a big deal? I mean, where is the real hope in this? People are like, okay, great. But the people who will experience the fullest meaning of Christmas are the people who know and feel that there is something in them, something in us that needs to be destroyed. Jesus said, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I come not to call the righteous, but sinners. The only people who understand Christmas and embrace Christmas really for what it is are people who feel sick and who desperately want their sickness destroyed. Unless you welcome Jesus as a destroyer in your life, you can't have him as a savior. Think about that for a minute. As human beings, all of us have, a, have what I call the trifecta of problems, right? The triple crown of treason, the perfect storm of an unholy criminal record, unpayable debt, and a severed relationship with God. And I like to say, remember, in order to understand the goodness and the greatness of the gospel of the good news, we have to contrast it with the bad news. And it's bad. Okay, I like to say we are never as bad as we can be, but we are as bad off as we can be. Okay, first, and I'm going to go through these because I think we need to understand these in order to understand how great it is that Christ came into the world. So we've committed cosmic treason against the sovereign king of the universe by failing and at most times refusing to obey his laws, right? The United States has laws. The state of Missouri has laws. Callaway County has laws. Holt Summit has laws. And we obey, you know, these laws most of the time, perhaps except for traffic laws. I think, you know, aren't those suggestions anyway, those speed limit signs, right? Those are suggestions anyway, I think, right? But seriously, right? Just as our earthly governments have laws and penalties for breaking the law, so does God. After all, he's the creator. He can make whatever laws he wants according to his character, his holy and sinless and righteous character. When we commit treason, for instance, against the United States, the penalty is written in the Constitution. It's death. So it is with God, except that when we disobey God and commit treason against the eternal creator of God, the penalty is the eternal wrath, eternal punishment. It's eternal death. Okay, so this is a huge problem. We need forgiveness of our crimes, yet we can't do anything about it. We can't convince God, hey, can you please forgive me? And he cannot even do so, right? It, some people get, get all uptight when we say God cannot do something. He cannot just overlook sin. God is loving and good, but he is also just. And simply forgiving us of our crimes, just turning a blind eye 
to the crimes that we've committed is something politicians in Washington do, but God cannot do, right? This would go against his character as a just and good God. God cannot just overlook crimes because that that affects the innocent. You can't just do away with guilt because that affects the innocent. Crimes must be punished. That is true justice. Someone must pay the penalty to satisfy God's righteous justice. It's either going to be us or it's going to be someone else. What's more, we have a debt we cannot pay. right? As God's creation and subject to his sovereignty, we are in his kingdom, right? We are obligated to obey him and live for him. The problem is with sin, we just want to live to ourselves. We owe God our lives, but we refuse to keep this obligation. Like anything else in this world, if you refuse to keep an obligation, you're going to incur a debt. And we have infinite debt to an infinite God. We need someone to pay our debt so that we have a clean slate. Right? Our third problem is that when we commit treason against God, we commit these crimes and refuse to keep our obligations, right? We've now fractured our relationship with God. I mean, if you commit treason, you're no friend of the country, <laughs> right? If, if you're an enemy. Debtors are not friends or on good terms with their creditors either, usually. And if you commit treason against God, you're an enemy of God. And if you owe God, there's no way you can repay that. So that's not good either. I mean, if you don't pay, right, the collector comes. There's no positive relationship there. So we have crimes and an eternal punishment that need to be forgiven. We have an infinite debt that has to be paid. And we have a severed relationship with our creator and holy God that needs to be restored. How can those things be done? I mean, who can do that for us? That someone is the Son of God, Jesus Christ. And as John says in both his gospel and his letters, the Son of God came into this world as a human being to save sinners, to save sinners from the punishment of God by taking that punishment upon himself. Somebody's got to take the punishment. The crimes just cannot be done away with. Somebody's got to take the punishment. Somebody's got to do it. Christ has done it. Christ led a perfect life while he was here on earth. He was sinless while we were not. Okay, he took the penalty for our sin, and then in exchange, we get his sinlessness. We get his sinless life. That's called the great exchange. Okay, our sin for his perfection. All right? Our crimes are forgiven because the Son of God paid the penalty for them through crucifixion on a Roman cross. Christ also paid our debt. Christ did that when he was on the cross, right? He took our debt and he nailed it to the cross. That's what Colossians 3 says. Christ is also our one and only mediator, right? Christ comes between God and human beings, and he reconciles us to God. He brings us back together. We're no longer enemies of God, but now we are children of God. Now we are friends with God. So what's the reason for the season? Christmas is the celebration of the appearing on earth of God's eternal son. And the reason he appeared was to destroy the works of the devil by saving his people from their sins, right? That's one reason. And that's a I mean, I could stop there. That's an awesome reason right there. But now, if that was not enough, there's more. 
right? This one's going to be pretty brief, but nonetheless, I think it's just as significant. The Son of God came to the earth to restore creation. This is essentially the redemption of creation, right? He came to redeem his people, but now he's going to redeem the world, the physical, the, the creation, right? Romans, Romans chapter 8. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the Son of God. For the creation was subject to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it. In other words, Adam's sin also destroyed creation. In hope that creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. Not only creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. So the earth and all creation was also corrupted by Adam's sin. Romans says creation groans for the time when it will be restored. Genesis 3 speaks of the curse of God on the earth so that the ground itself is cursed. It is in pain that we grow crops. We have to fight off weeds, right? Thorns, insects, drought, floods, other pests. We get honey from bees, right? But if we're not careful, they're going to sting you. And let's not talk about the devastation brought about by tornadoes, hurricanes, floods, earthquakes. People often ask, well, why do these things happen? Sin is because they happen. Sin has corrupted the earth just as it's radically corrupted mankind. But because the Son of God came to restore creation as well as humanity, we can actually look forward to a day when there will be no more pain, when there will be no more sorrow, when there will be no more sin, no more tornadoes, no more hurricanes, okay? The mosquitoes won't suck the blood out of us in the summertime, all right? Brown recluse spiders won't bite us anymore, okay? Crops won't die because of drought. Rattlesnakes, gone, okay? Gone, Creation will be restored as a place for God's people to live, to commune with one another and commune with the Most High God. Okay? This we can look forward to and rejoice in. Right? Not only will we have sin-free bodies and be free from the bondage of sin, we'll be free from old age. We will be free from sickness. We will be free from disease. We will be free from addictions. We will be free from fear. Okay, and we will have homes living on earth as God intended us to live. So what's another reason for the season? One is the redemption of God's people. And the second is the restoration of creation, right? No more pain, no more sorrow. I'm going to say it again. No more sickness, no disease, no tornadoes that rip through our neighborhoods, no hurricanes that just, you know, level Florida. Okay, our home will be restored as a paradise as it should be. Thirdly, and I think perhaps just as important as all of these, is found in 1 John 3.8. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. Okay, so not only did Jesus come to redeem mankind and restore creation, 
but he also came to destroy the Lord of sin and the kingdom of evil and lawlessness that he has labored and labored to build since Genesis 3. And I think, I believe it was C.S. Lewis that said that the best thing the devil has done is to convince people that he doesn't exist or even exist as a little red man with a pitchfork, right? But friends, the devil is no fantasy. He is not make-believe. He is real. In the incarnation, when the Son of God became human and walked on the earth, he invaded the territory of the enemy. He invaded the kingdom of darkness. And he has destroyed his power. The devil is still present for now, and he still roars loudly. But he is broken, and he is defeated, and his doom is sealed. So let's make a few quick observations about this verse here. One is that this is a divine work. All right, the Lord who can create can destroy as well. And it must be God who does it. I mean, think about this. What could you and I do against the devil with our own power? Nothing. Okay, remember, we, are, we were naturally, originally slaves to sin and captives to the devil, right? The image of God in us has been radically corrupted with sin. We were enemies of God. Can the, can the devil destroy his own? No. Even in our spiritual state as born-again followers of Christ, in our physical bodies, we can really, I mean, we can only do like pinpricks, right? We can teach the Word of God, right? We can witness we can serve one another. We can love one another. We can love our neighbors as ourselves. And that chips away at his kingdom, right? It chips away at his kingdom. But does it destroy it? That takes the power of God. And Jesus Christ, the Son of God, has the, the divine power and the authority to do it. And secondly, this is a conquering work, right? In military operations and warfare, when the enemy's power is broken... Then their armies are defeated and their fortifications are burned to the ground. The devil's power is broken, my friends. The devil's power is broken. He is already defeated. The world is still upside down because he knows, I think he knows his time is short. And he's going to fight back now with all he can. But I think he knows, and all of us Christians should also know, that he has been conquered and he has been destroyed. Okay, thirdly, this work is a complete work. All right, it's complete. Do you think our Savior, the Son of God, would become a man and walk among us and not fulfill his mission? The kingdom of darkness is not to be cut down like a weed and then left to grow back again. Right? If you want the weed gone, what do you got to do? You got to kill it down to its roots. Pull it up by its roots and just get rid of all of it. Right? But the word of God says that the works of the devil will be destroyed. He has appeared to destroy the works of the devil. And that means for good. It's not completed now, right, in the world in which we live. We know that. Look around. Sometimes it seems evil is running rampant in our streets. I know many of us are dealing with things that we just have to shake our head and go, Why, Lord, why? Why? But friends, it will be complete. It will be complete here on earth when the Lord returns and sets everything right. But know this, know this, Christ 
came to destroy the works of the devil. All right, and he is already destroyed. In the mind of God, it's already destroyed. It's just a cleanup. Okay? Rest assured. So finally, this work is a conclusive work. The devil will be destroyed and he will never rear his ugly head ever again. The powers of darkness on the earth parade themselves around the globe, right? They claim they have the high ground and have just about put the old remnants of Christianity in the grave. But friends, they are very much mistaken. It is the works of the devil that have been put in the grave, the grave of eternal punishment in hell. And it's coming and coming soon. They will never rise up again. So what are the reasons for the season? Can anyone tell me what Christmas is all about? We're going to let Linus tell us what Christmas is all about in this little short video clip. I guess you were right, Linus. I shouldn't have picked this little tree. Everything I do turns into a disaster. I guess I really don't know what Christmas is all about. Isn't there anyone who knows what Christmas is all about? Sure, Charlie Brown. I can tell you what Christmas is all about. Lights, please. And there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them. And they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you, you shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. That's what Christmas is all about, Charlie Brown. So I love Charlie Brown Christmas. I've watched that every year since it's come out, maybe. I don't think I'm that old yet, but it's a classic and it's a favorite. Charles Schultz was actually, who, who created Charlie Brown, he was actually a very strong Christian. And it's interesting, a couple things. I've seen this movie over, over and over again, and I didn't realize, one, that when he proposed, when the, when the networks told him to make a Charlie Brown Christmas, he included Luke chapter 2. And the network said, mm, we're not going to air that with Luke chapter 2. And Charles Schultz said, you either air it with Luke 2 or you don't air it at all. And so the networks caved in. And now we have the classic Charlie Brown Christmas where Linus recites the Bible, Luke chapter 2. And it is heard every, it's been heard every year since 1964 or whenever this thing was done. And I've watched this over and over again, but only recently did I actually notice something. You know Linus and his blanket? I mean, they're like inseparable, right? Linus has that thing everywhere he goes. I mean, all the characters make fun of him. Lucy, what are you doing with that stupid blanket? You know, 
constantly. It's his security blanket. It's his trust. He's got to like hold on to it constantly, right? But did you notice that when Linus was reciting Luke chapter 2 and he came to the phrase, fear not, what did he do? He dropped his blanket. He dropped his blanket. He let it go. I don't think this was accidental. I think Charles Schultz was telling us something here. Okay? He was telling us that the birth of Jesus separates us from our fears and gives us security in someone else to trust. The birth of Jesus frees us from our habits that we are unable or perhaps even unwilling to break ourselves, right? From our, from our habits, from our addictions, from anything and everything that controls us. The birth of Jesus allows us to simply drop the false security that we have been grasping so tightly, right? And learn to trust and cling to Christ alone. Jesus said that all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. All authority in the heavenly realms and in all creation. Authority is this Greek word, exousia. It means power. It means authority. It means control. Okay, and Jesus says that all exousia has been given to him. So my friends, let me tell you something. We can be confident that Christ has come to redeem his people, restore creation, and destroy the works of the devil. Okay, no more, no more do we have to remain a slave to fear. No more do we have to stay captive to that addiction. No more are we a slave to sin and under the power of the devil to do his will. Christ has come and he has come in power. So flee to him with your sin and your fears and your addictions and your sickness and your worries and your doubts. Go to Christ this morning. Flee to Christ this morning. Drop the security blanket and cling to Christ. Ask him to show you your sins and then ask him to forgive them. Believe that he is the son of God and has the power to destroy the devil. All of those that come to him, he will never turn away. So come to him today and believe. Okay, let's pray.